for this session, we're going to be talking about whether the levelling up agenda actually risks levelling down London, and I'm going to add the South there as 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 well. And um, joining me on the on the panel to discuss and debate um, that, and maybe hopefully come up with a solution of how we can make sure that levelling up is is level. Um, is this great panel sat next to me? I'm going to go. Um, Silla Black blind date style and ask each individual to uh, give us their, their name and where they come from. So, uh, Rachel, over to you first. Thanks. Um, I think you will also probably have quite a good actually where we all come from because <laughs> you'll probably get through and I'm sure not all of us will be from London, as you can tell. Uh, I'm Rachel Campbell. I'm Deputy Director for Regeneration and Urban Policy at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities. Hi guys, I, I'm Richard Sterling. I'm the National Head of Land and Development for Wilmot Dixon. Hi, I'm Gail Yu. I'm the Managing Director of the new Urban Regeneration Company for Bournemouth Christchurch and Paul. Uh, and I'm Phil Graham. I'm the Executive Director for Good Growth at the Greater London Authority. Fantastic. Thank you for, for joining us. So I'm going to start with the most difficult question and I'm going to pass it straight to you, Rachel. And, and that's to, just to give us the, the definitive definition if you can, of, of what levelling up actually is, and, 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 and we'll take the discussion from there. I thought the easy question was going to be, does levelling up mean levelling down London? I could just say no and leave, <laughs> uh, but unfortunately not. So the slightly, I think, unhelpful answer to what is levelling up is that if I give you the answer in a sentence, it risks diminishing the scale of what it means and what we're trying to do. So I don't have a sort of 40 page slide pack on it, but there is a 350 page document that you can all read called the white paper. Um, Look, ultimately, it's about social justice. I mean, the UK is a huge success story in so many ways, and London is obviously such a critical part of that. But that success has not been shared across the whole of the country. If you look at us in comparison to our European neighbours, there's some really striking economic inequality um, and also social inequality, which those areas with poor productivity have worse health outcomes, they have lower productivity, they have poor quality housing. So there's four outcomes that we want to see, and this is how we summarise levelling up. So it's about increasing productivity, increasing and improving the number of jobs, by growing the role of the private sector. Secondly, it's about spreading opportunity and improving public services across the whole of the country. Thirdly, it's about restoring local pride and a sense of community that people have across the country. And then finally, it's about empowering local leadership. Um, and that's the sort of the four objectives of what we want to see from levelling up across the whole of the UK. Thank you. Um, I have to, of course, go to Philip next on, on that and just ask whether you you feel that the levelling up agenda is putting London at risk of being levelled down or whether those four objectives can apply as well to London? Um, I think the four objectives undoubtedly apply to London. Um, I think this is a classic where levelling up doesn't need to mean levelling down London, but it depends very, very, very significantly on what you mean by levelling up. And I think the if I were being challenging the the issue that we have had in a number of cases has been that um, you know we have had meetings with ministers and meeting with civil servants who have told us that levelling up doesn't mean levelling down London but then you look at a set of funding decisions and some of the tricky negotiations we have around Transport for London's budget for example the very small allocations we've seen through things like the levelling up fund and it does feel like there's a there's a risk 
Not that London is going to suddenly, suddenly fail. London is recovering really well. London is vibrant. Um, but that recovery is hugely uneven. And some of, the way, some, of the, some of the tools that we have used to spread wealth across London, to ensure that we are building pride of, pride of place, that we're tackling poverty in some of the, some of the more, more disadvantaged parts of the capital, are becoming harder to access. And I mean, I think it is really important to say you know, that this isn't just about comparative poverty within London, if we're looking at those issues. It is about comparative poverty with the rest of the UK. We have some of the poorest parts of the country in parts of the capital, and we need to recognize that as we think about how this rolls out. But I think there's a much more optimistic and positive version of this story as well, which is that London needs leveling up, um, but London can be an enormous contributor to leveling up as well, partly through, through supply chains, and we often talk about the, the money that we spend on, on buses, on tube trains in other parts of the country. I met a housing developer recently who's buying modular units from Derbyshire and you know the, the money spreads out but also London's role as a gateway to the UK for investment for talent for tourists you know, we have to accept that London is to some degree the shop window but then people go out from London to the rest of the country and the money the investment flows out the tourism flows out the talent flows out as it comes in from abroad and that's incredibly important so I think there's a really really good story for London if we can get this right I think we as London understand the idea that you want that the government wants to see more direct grant funding flowing to parts of the country that perhaps haven't done as well through that but we really want the conversation about how then you can provide london with the fiscal tools to take advantage of some of the prosperity and affluence in some parts of the capital and enable that to be spread more effectively and i guess our disappointment about the leveling up white paper is it sort of takes london london devolution as the summit and we want to know how we can have the conversation with government about how we go further and how we go beyond that. I definitely want to come back to the, the shared solutions in a little bit, because, but because I'm a journalist, I also want to stick with the, with the um, bad news first, because um, I love that. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, I guess there's an argument, and I'll come to you on this scale, that um, you know, London and the South East doesn't need levelling up because private investment wants to go into London and the South East, so you, know, you don't need help from from government, you can get the private sector coming in anyway because it's great in London and the southeast. That's true, isn't it? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say yes to that. So, I mean, from a South Coast point of view, I think one of the strong messages that we're trying to play into government is levelling up. It's not just for the north. You've got economies which have actually been underinvested for a long time on the south coast. Um, massive disparities in outcomes you've got very high property prices where you've got very attractive properties to the second home market especially but levels of housing inaccessibility which are on a par with london's but without any of the advantages a massive massive underinvestment in um culture in public um you know public facilities of every sort and i would say that that is endemic right across england i'm afraid to say i you probably gathered there's two scots on this platform i come from edinburgh and um it there is quite a palpably different regional regional geography in scotland which is much less concentric on a single settlement you've got a balance of regional cities which actually take you know take the economic benefit and strain and i think that's a much much healthier balance for London um, and, and the English kind of regional geography to move towards. And I mean, it's not to necessarily 
detract from some of the extreme social issues that you know are present without doubt in London but the historic underinvestment in the regions is something that's absolutely you know of the first priority to cure and it's not just about the north um Richard give us your sort of private investor um viewpoint and 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 how how you view I suppose leveling up across across the whole of the UK Sure. I mean, I think from, from a private sector perspective, one of the things we're looking at is, it's almost a bit of a false narrative, I think, is levelling down London to levelling up the rest of the country, because I think there's so much interconnectivity across regions and how London plays into that, both from the investment into London, and as well said, how that filters out, but then equally, how it's important to invest in some of the regions to increase, for example, manufacturing capability, which will undoubtedly then benefit the, the economy in London. So I think... For me, it's, it's generally about every region's got its own challenges. They're all very different. London has a set of challenges. We can't get away from that, which are very different to those, say, in, in Stoke, for example, and all need addressing. But I think getting a message that actually addressing these together actually benefits everyone. Um, so looking at connectivity between major towns and cities outside of London into London, looking at how we can increase that manufacturing and development capability to benefit not only regions but London and, and also... You know, things like housing supply outside of London can help address some of the housing needs in London by creating a better spread of wealth. So I think the big message for me is, you know, let's look at it as an interconnected issue, not just a London versus the rest of the country type of issue. Um, Rachel, how is, how is government doing that? How, we, how are we connecting these, these issues? So I think devolution is actually one of the good ones to start with. Uh, you know, we've we've been clear that we will be working uh, with areas like the West Mids and with Greater Manchester on their sort of further devolution ambitions. But there's very much an opportunity for Greater London to see what new further powers they would want through the new devolution framework that we'll put out. And I think uh, our not so new anymore, but current Secretary of State has been really really open about the fact that he wants to have uh, those conversations with the mayor. And I think that. That is an area where there's a lot that places have to learn from London, and it's not saying that London is London devolution is sort of done and that's been the panacea to its issues. But I think there's a lot that other city regions look at and think, well, what would we have done with that? What would we like to do a bit differently, and and what can we share? And actually, part of uh, I think the connectivity point that we want to address is just how do we avoid the competition between the cities a bit more. I mean, London, like we were talking about this earlier and saying sort of, you know, London probably looks to places like Paris and Frankfurt, et cetera, as their competitors in a way. So I don't think we need to have this competition between uh, London and the rest of the UK. Uh, and actually we should more be having a sort of what can places learn from each other and how can we share that knowledge? And what is some of that, that knowledge that we can share? And, and Philip, I'll come to, to you on that in terms of the, you know, the lessons that London can share for the rest of rest of the country, and actually things that you think London could learn from from other cities too. Well, I think you know, undoubtedly, an important part of what other cities can learn from London, and I think we recognise that actually there's a role for London in this, and we've got people who are going out having these conversations at the moment with some of the other cities is around transport integration. And we're seeing the lessons of the lessons from London playing out in other cities across the, the country. Andy Burnham has just won the judicial review about bringing bringing buses, bus franchising back in house in Manchester. 
And I think that's an enormous step forward. The ability to, to, to create a, a transport system that works as a whole has been an enormous success in London. And I think we, we sort of take that for granted in London at the moment, but that hasn't always been the case. You know, that, that was something that was, that was dependent on a set of changes that were made after the mayoralty was set up in 2020, in 2000. And so, you know, there is a, there is a pathway and some progress there that, that we would like to talk to other cities about, and we'd like to have conversations about other areas in which those cities have, have been successful in some of their, the ways in which they've delivered transport or connected it to, to their, their growth agenda. Um, so I think that's, that's a really critical point, and obviously London uh, is has tried to invest heavily in its in its cultural sector. There are a set of national institutions based in London which have done very undoubtedly done very well from uh, from central government funding. But I think that what London has tried to do, and I think it's been relatively successful at it, but it is becoming harder and harder for for some of the reasons we've discussed. Um, is to make sure that the is to make sure that all tiers of that cultural sector are in place. So there are the grassroots organisations and the cultural infrastructure that allow new artists to experiment and to create. That then create the uh, the ladders up to those bigger national institutions, which really are, you know, they are the crown jewels for the UK rather than being something that is that is London specific and a big part of their you know a big part of their work and what they're encouraged to do even more now by the Irish Council is to take that to other parts of the world. Um, and then there's there's a lot that Richard probably can talk about more eloquent than me in terms of in terms of how we have sought to attract investment in in London's development. But I would say actually, I think in many cases in that area we also have a lot to learn from other parts of the country. I think you know London has exceptionally high. You know we have very high land values. We have high property prices. There is a clear investment case there. Some other parts of the country have been have had to be more entrepreneurial. They've had to be more more ambitious in terms of how they engage, and I think as we look at how we bring investment not just into into Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea, but into Enfield and Barking and Dagenham and Hounslow, there's a lot that we can learn from that. This isn't uh, a, a sort of a one-way street. Um, this is definitely a partnership. Richard, can you be more eloquent than that? Um, no, I think it's, it's interesting actually when you talk about investment into London because actually yeah, the major issues there are, as you say, land prices, um, construction costs, inflation, they are very acute in London. But part of that, I, I would argue, is, is has that been partly driven by certain decisions in the past where it's just focused on creation of wealth in certain small pockets of areas, which has caused some of those issues. And I think things like the London plan, for example, I'm not going to talk about the, the pros and cons of the London plan, but... There's policy tools there that can. Oh, sorry, that's got to be loud. Um, policy tools there that I think can start help to address some of these issues around, you know, mandating certain levels of affordable housing and not relying fully on, you know, viability tests on every site. That will help to start address some of the affordability issues and uh, leverage out some of the land values. Um, and I think that's actually lessons that can be taken from from London into some of the other regions. Actually, the power of devolved structures that Greater Manchester, for example, and that West Midlands Combined Authority want. I think just showing how policy lever can help spread investment a little bit, I suppose, more equally and manage then the massive peaks in profit prices and, and investment values. So when we've been talking about um, devolved leadership there, we have again been focusing Midlands and, and North Gale. What about what about this, the, the South Coast? Do, does that need um, devolved powers as well? Are you, are you feeling left out? Are there lessons that you can take from London too? Well, 
I, I mean, I, I can't speak for um, political leadership down there, but I mean, we, we're the, the, um, a, a recently formed um, combined authority bringing together three um, districts into a single large unit, getting to that level of scale is making quite a lot of difference to our investment case. Um, are those powers sufficient? I, I mean, not the right person to ask, but I think there's, there's a lot at our disposal that we can do given, um, you know, given, given that um, you know, recent uh, formulation of power, power base. Um, I think what's really interesting actually about the, you know, the new emphasis of the white paper is bringing back the economic dimension into the regeneration space. It's not just about housing any longer, it's about looking at the jobs and actually how you can you know, regenerate, as um, you know, colleagues are saying, that regional economies are finding a, a specific economic rationale for a specific place. And I think that's where you know, the differential with London then comes in, just you know, it's a, it's a regional, regionally specific set of solutions. And I think that, that's really exciting. It changes the whole game in terms of investment and regeneration. It's a, it's a word that I'm hearing a lot throughout um, the panels we've done here and just around London, around um, MIPIM uh, a lot uh, over the last couple of days, which is place. People are talking about place very much. And I suppose there's, this is where London might actually suffer because it's probably not as easy to create place in London as it is in some of the, the regional cities. And I, I wonder if we can focus a little bit on, on the priorities, I suppose, around levelling up and creating places and where where we want to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I would entirely agree that it's harder to create places in London. Uh, it is more... I mean, I live in London. It is, it's certainly more sort of desperate than some other areas, but the really obvious go-to for what's a great example of placemaking in the last 20 years is King's Cross, as we were sort of talking about earlier. And... Maybe that's easier in London because you have sort of 60-odd acres of uh, undeveloped land that you can pull together and the chance to sort of create a whole new postcode that you might not have elsewhere, but then it's also harder there because of those exact characteristics. Um, that, uh, it's talking about the types of places that we want to focus on and the type of places that we want to build. That's one example that we're definitely looking to when we announced that we'd create 20 new regen opportunities across uh, the UK and announced that Wolverhampton and Sheffield would be the first two of those. And that's very much looking at what does a good place look like and, and who's it for, I think, is the question. You know, there's no point in building something that looks shiny and fancy and ticks all of the boxes if people don't actually want to go and live and work and spend their time there. Um, so it's not just about housing, it's about how do you create jobs, how do you create public spaces, how do you places that people want to go and visit, actually, as well. So I'd say Wolverhampton, Sheffield, the first two of those, and we'll be sort of learning lessons of what worked in terms of public-private partnerships to bring them forward and working with Homes England. I think the other part of the white paper that's worth highlighting is the focus in that of Homes England uh, going back, I think, to having a bit more of a region focus rather than solely focusing on um, housing delivery and numbers. You know, that's important as well, but actually it's everything that goes alongside that that we really need to be promoting. Fantastic, thank you. Sorry, if you just jump in there, because I think there was a really important point that was raised there about you know, what is place, and I think one of the things that sometimes gets missed is about 
jobs and opportunities that come as part of that placemaking. I think that's one thing that London has got really right is, you know, there is opportunity in jobs there that make people want to be there in, in creation. And I think Leveling Up creates a great platform to create that in, in Bournemouth in, in other parts of the country where you can actually have a purpose for being there that goes beyond just, as you said, just some nice looking public open space that no one's ever going to walk over. It's got to be creating that footfall that's consistent. I think the rest of the country can absolutely learn from how London has done that in, in certain pockets, but recognise also that in doing that in other parts of the country, that's going to directly benefit London. For, for example, you know, if we increase manufacturing capability in other parts of the country, that will benefit the supply chain in London. You know, if we create um, links to tourism in other parts of the country, that you know, London is the gateway to, to England, isn't it? That's what you know, tourism is built on. But then get people out of London into the other regions by creating a positive tourism experience that creates jobs is, I think, probably part of the message that needs to change a little bit that levelling up can benefit all of this. Can I, can I just yeah. make a point also about um, the post-COVID economy as well? I think one of the things that we learnt during COVID and which has actually massively accelerated the potential of a new regional geography of Britain emerging is, is the discovery that we can work online and that completely changes a lot of the assumptions we've made in the past about economic development. It's not just about big infrastructure. And I mean, this was uh, actually something I looked at quite closely when I was on the Building Better Commission with some research that Mike Frank um, was commissioned to do. We were looking at some of the outcomes around infrastructure investment in sort of regional places, which actually hadn't completely done the kind of transformational work that, that necessarily some of that movement-related infrastructure had been anticipated to do. And this is where, I mean, I would really strongly argue out for a place because it's only when you marry up infrastructure, or infrastructure investment with investment into place that you actually get to the sweet spot in regenerative terms. And I mean, what, I mean, my observation very much in looking at quite a lot of places around the UK during that period that we had um, in terms of you know, out, uh, outcomes, both in housing terms, but in property market terms, is that just focusing on housing locks regional markets into the position that they're currently in. You need that investment in jobs and um, placemaking infrastructure to change the odds, but actually also to deliver on the housing. Because I mean, one of the things that, you know, at that point in time was you know, a very clear issue was absorption rates and actually how much regional economies can take. Without investing in the economy, you get stuck in a ceiling of absorption rates. So slightly complicated argument, but in order to deliver on housing, I would argue you need to deliver on regen first. And, and I think, I mean, I would completely agree with that. And I think London, London is building some amazing places. Um, but London's had to learn a lot over a long period to do that. And I think coming back to the point that Richard made, the absolutely critical tool in this has been the London plan because that has driven um, an awful lot of that move towards mixed-use mixed developments, towards the integration of commercial and, uh, and housing development, towards make, making better public realm and better public places. Um, and so on and so forth, but have being able to do that at a regional level, being able to look across with that kind of wide canvas has been absolutely critical. We haven't got all of this right. I mean, we do try, there is, we do try very, very hard to do exactly what Richard is saying and ensure that the economic benefits and the employment benefits spread out. And there are definitely successful examples of that, but London still has 
at regional level, the highest unemployment in the, in the country and some pockets of very strong unemployment. Um, and coming back to the levelling up versus levelling down, a lot of the funding that we have relied to relied upon to put, put structures and, uh, and, and programmes in place to try and address that has come through the European funding route. And we are very worried about whether we will be able to continue with that as we look at how the uh, the shared prosperity fund is is divided up over the coming over the coming months. So there are there are real challenges for London here. But I think that ability to take an integrated view through something like the London Plan um, and to promote sort of long term stewardship of these places, which is has absolutely been at the heart of the success of both Kings Cross and um, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, is critical. What happens to London if that funding does dry up? We work very hard together to try and find ways to deliver as much of the output that we were across the, across the GLA, across the boroughs, across our anchor institutions, um, with some of our other public sector partners and with the private sector to find ways to continue that work. I mean, in any case, what you can deliver through a set of kind of GLA publicly funded programmes is only a small percentage in terms of how you make the supply chain work, in terms of how you how you build work with the private sector to ensure that they are promoting apprenticeships, that they're promoting skills development. Um, it's always got to work as a system, but that has been a critical part of, in terms of gap filling. Those kind of directly controlled funding funding programmes are incredibly helpful. So it will be it will be a real challenge. To try and find out how we can plug how we can plug that gap if some of those funding streams streams dry up, and we're making the case very hard to government that you know that we have you know we're not expecting all the money to be diverted to London any more than it was when it came in through the European funding streams, but we are we are you know, very very keen to make sure that a sensible proportionate amount remains in London so that we can keep those programmes doing and continue to invest in sort of the regeneration and the skills development of communities in the capital. Can I just add on that so. Uh, Firstly, I completely agree with the point that uh, the public sector is not going to fund all of this. I mean, the levelling up ambitions of the UK government as a whole, let alone what the GLA is trying to do in London, is not going to be achieved solely by the public sector. And it shouldn't be. There is, you know, the whole point of us being here this week is to hear about the wall of private capital that wants to come and invest in uh, the UK as well as other places. Um, but just also to emphasise, you know, there is also no intent for those funding streams to dry up in London. Um, you know, further details on UK Church Prosperity Fund to be announced in due course. Uh, and we've already said the GLA will, uh, you know, have responsibility for investing that and taking its decisions on it. Six to five million pounds of levelling up funding is going to London. It's also been Barking and Dagenham, for example, has been chosen as one of our employment and skills pathfinder through the white paper. So. Uh, there's definitely continued uh, investment in London and commitment to us to keep supporting that. Good to hear. And I, I guess the argument with London is it's, you know, it's big enough, attractive enough, it is that gateway city to, to be able to work a little bit harder, maybe, than some of the other cities. Absolutely. But, but that does come back to the tools and the devolution settlement and so on. So we've only got a couple of minutes left and there are uh, questions flowing in. So I'm going to uh, share some of those with you. Hopefully you can see them in front of you, but I'll attempt to read from behind. Uh, so question number one, how do we create opportunities for local authorities to invest in their own pension funds in their own areas, ensuring economic value is captured and retained? Who would like to grab that one? 
Go for it. I'll just start with a bit of an example. I mean, so, you know, as Will, Will Montlington, we've historically had a, a, a build-to-rent uh, arm of our business, and it was, it was quite interesting when we, when we launched that. Our first scheme was a scheme in London, and I'll, I'll not name the pension fund, but that was a forward fund transaction we did with a, with a northern pension fund who were quite happy to invest their money into London, but when we asked them to do the same in their own region, wouldn't do it. So I think, actually, some pension funds do have that, capability to do that it's more a case of actually backing their own local economy a little bit if i was to be a little bit controversial in saying that um you know as, as, as developers we you know we've got the absolute appetite to invest in all parts of the country but sometimes it's got to be you know backed up with local local action as well um, and that, we don't always see that outside of london as, as much as perhaps we, we could do and the second point, though, sort of links to that, doesn't it? Is that sort of local investment into the, our own regions better than foreign foreign investment coming through? Could I maybe um, take that one? Because I think it may be some of the answer to the, the London funding issue. So, I mean, the whole um, event this year has been so focused on sustainability, ESG. Now, that's got quite a wide definition, and it ought to be way beyond just the green agenda, it should be the social impacts that um, those flows of capital are making. Now London is a great attractor of capital and if um, another of my great interests is, is um, stewardship led investment and development and if we were to get to a much more strenuous set of ESG requirements of that flow of capital that is you know, in very many respects still very, very attached to London then actually some of those private sector funds could be picking up quite a lot of the strain of the work that you know, has fallen in the past to the public sector to do. And so I, mean, I, I would say that I mean, that's actually a really critical question for you know, the whole investment programme into the UK. We don't want to be, uh, you know, our, our regional um, regeneration to be driven by the requirements of those funds. We need to set the terms upon which investment comes in, that's very much about what, you know, what our role is as future places down in the Bournemouth, Christchurch and Poole area is as private sector players coming alongside the local authority to help set terms of investment. So the flows of capital that come in deliver on the socially beneficial requirement from the, you know, the greater good perspective rather than being driven by pure investment criteria. Fantastic. So time has run out, but I'm going to squeeze in one more question because I'm always naughty. Uh, and just <laughs> ask each of you what what levelled up UK looks like for for each of each of you. So for London, for Bournemouth, Christchurch, and Paul, for the private sector, and for for the UK as a whole. So um, Philip, let's start with you. What does a good levelled up look like for London? Well, there's a there's a there's a good levelled up in London which I think is really that these, these disparities that we have been talking, that London continues to create great places, um, but also that the, the disparities that we've been talking about, the very high levels of employment, for example, amongst, amongst young black men in many other communities are, are reduced and ultimately, ultimately eradicated so that the, the same opportunity exists for someone growing up on, you know, on, the, on Broadwater Farm in, in Haringey, as exists for those growing up in the, uh, in the leafy streets of, uh, of Kensington. And I think then levelling up for the UK is, is very, very similar. But I mean, ultimately, my, you know, my goal in terms of levelling up for the UK is that we stop having to have this conversation. <laughs> um, because actually, these are not competing agendas. There are all kinds of questions that we have been discussing about how you divide up finite pots of money and how you... How you uh, how you consider what powers are appropriate in which places, 
But ultimately, when you get to the bottom of this, the UK succeeds when London succeeds, and London succeeds when the UK succeeds across the piece. So there's no competition here. And indeed, the point that you made about London being in competition much more with Frankfurt and Paris is absolutely critical. If we can make London the most successful of that, help make London continue to be the most successful of that group of cities, and supported by incredibly successful cities and towns in the north, the Midlands, the south, the southwest, which is an area that we have that, that has its own challenges, um, then that will be the most prosperous UK that we can, most successful UK we can build. Fantastic. Thank you. Again. I think it's, it's about giving people choice so that they can live, work, lead their lives actually wherever they choose across the UK and have a much more equalised um, you know, ability to access all the, you know, all the things that come with a good quality of life, you know, culture, jobs, a career progression, but not necessarily have to detach themselves from their families and the places that they grew up. Thank you. Richard? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple of areas we probably touched on what, what you guys have said there, but I think making sure there's an equality of life chance for everyone, regardless of where in the country you are, I think is absolutely fundamental. It's probably one of those immeasurable things, but I think secondly to that is, is a change in the narrative that just shows levelling up is an interconnected thing across all regions of the country, and it's not, as Philip said, you know, get away from this London versus the country. It's not everything interlaps, and I think... For me, the success of levelling up will be changing that narrative that we're not having this panel debate next time we come out to MIP, and it's, you know, recognising that investment anywhere benefits everywhere else as well. Thank you. Rachel? Um, I agree with all of that. I think good levelling up from with London in mind means us achieving these objectives of not making, of making poorer parts of the country richer without making richer parts of the country poorer. And then secondly, completely echoed those points that good looks like us in five years sitting back here and talking about Wolverhampton and Sheffield rather than King's Cross as the great example of regeneration projects. Fantastic. Well, it's always good to end a panel debate when all of your panellists say, we don't want to have this debate anymore. So there, we will draw a line under it there, but please join me in thanking our wonderful panellists. <laughs>